Hello, everybody. This is my leak. This is the My Taught You podcast. Um, this is episode 100. And I'm super excited about this episode because if you've been listening since 2011, you know that I have, for the most part, done every single podcast by myself, with the exception of the one that my mom was on, giving her um, always crazy advice. But um, I think moving forward, I will continue to do them. But I want to invite people that I actually know that are doing really amazing things in the world. And so today I have my one of my like closest friends on, Ken Burkeen. You may know him um, as the founder of Beautiful, the Beautiful Hair Steamer, um, also the Beautiful Salons. And so I have invited him on today to answer some of your questions because Ken is the person that I go to for just about any question. And so, Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks, Malik. I'm excited to be here. This is my first podcast, never done one before. Uh, I've listened to I don't know how many of yours. Uh, So I'm excited to be on the show. Do you know that I don't like when my friends listen to my podcast? My dad even listened to my podcast once. You, you know, I um, I wasn't a big podcaster uh, listener until a few months ago when um, I was struggling with not having enough time to work out and not having enough time to like, you know, educate myself, train myself. And so I just started bundling the two things together. Like, well, let me exercise and listen to podcasts at the same time uh, so I can knock out two th- two birds with one stone. And uh, so that's how I started listening to more and more podcasts. That's awesome. Before we get into the questions, what are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Uh-oh. You know what? That was my mistake. Before we, before we get started with, before we get started with the questions, what are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Um, I'm a little bit of a geek. So I listen to things like Freakonomics, um, okay. which is, you know, if, if you've read the book, um, it takes an interesting perspective on different problems and looks at them from an economic standpoint. Um, so anything from, you know, Black Lives Matter and police uh, violence to just any popular subject, but it takes a look at it from an economic standpoint. So I really like that. Um, I'm a sports fan, so uh, I've got to listen to my fantasy baseball uh, okay. podcast. Um, and, uh, really just a lot of self-help, you know, um, how to manage your time more effectively. Um, the four hour work week. Oh um, yeah. Tim Ferriss. That, yeah, exactly. He has a great podcast. Um, so, you know, it, it's really, I really search for subjects, not that I have a specific channel or subscription that I always listen to, but I'll just go and search in podcasts to find people who have spoken on topics that Mm -hmm. like for that day or that week just seem to kind of speak to me. Got it. Okay. Well, I don't want you to get all super technical because I want people to get to know you not as like Mr. Executive Ken, which I know you can get very comfortable being snooze fest. I want people to get to know you like I know you as like, he's like very smart. Um, uh, super awesome advice. So I am going to get into some of the questions. And I don't know if you know this, but people write me literally daily asking me all kinds of questions. So first question for you is this. Um, 
First of all, she says she loves my podcast. Hey, Izzy. Hello. She says, I need advice. I recently quit my job in May as an executive assistant in New York to relocate to California to pursue my dream working in production. I have experience working on the radio and working for NBC in New York. I have only been in California for a month now and have connections here prior to moving, but it has been hard adjusting to life out here without my family and close friends. But I know this is what I always wanted to do in life. So, so I'm adjusting as best as I can. I'm 24 years old and about to turn 25 soon. Should I give California a time limit in regards to moving? If it doesn't work, am I not working hard enough to get where I need to be? I appreciate any advice help. Yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting question when you have to relocate somewhere and you don't have the support network, um, that you're used to having around you. You know, I, I, I don't think that you can put a time limit to when your success or blessings are going to come. Uh-huh. Um, that's a really hard thing to do. And it also puts you under the gun to like, oh, I only got three months. I only have two months. I only have one month. I think you end up maybe not doing the right things or the things that you should be doing when you've got this time pressure under you. I think it's more important to say, have I exhausted all of the ways to get connected in California um, and pursue my career? So instead of making it a time-based criteria, make it a task-based criteria. You know, say, have I gone through, have I created a profile on LinkedIn and seen um, or tried to connect it to anybody who is a first or second level contact uh, on my LinkedIn? Um, do I call somebody and say, I just want to host a, um, a curious coffee with you? I just sit down my treat and, and talk about for 15 minutes or 30 minutes about what I'm trying to do and whether we have some overlapping interests. You know, a lot I of like, times. I, I want to interrupt you really quickly because I like how you said to schedule. I have never heard the term curious coffee, but I think so many people can struggle with. Um, and I get asked this question, too. I'm she's 24 years old. She's trying to work in production. How does she get someone to have a curious coffee with her? And what the hell is happening? Like, how can I prepare for a curious coffee session? Yeah, that's a that's a great (laughs) question. I I think it's a curious coffee because you really don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think um, a lot of the people in my life who have been able to help me or push me in a certain direction. It was totally unscripted. It wasn't okay. like, uh, you know, I met this person because they're a producer on this show and I want to have a coffee with them to see if I can get a job. It's more like I'm meeting this contact. Let's just sit around and talk about what we're interested in, who we know. I mean, if you have experience working in production at NBC, um, maybe there's something that you can do to help that person who you're sitting down with. I think that's what makes it a curious coffee. You're just chatting about, you know, what you have going on, where you have some interests. And I think you always need to approach it with what do I have to offer to somebody else? Right. Um, Right. So this is me. This is my experience. This is what I bring to the table. Let me share that with you. And maybe there will be something that sparks with you that, you know, you want to tap into um, from me. And and then it just goes from there. And the the thing is, that you and I talk about this all the time, Malik. It all comes down to relationships. Right. And you can't ask 
for a job if you haven't even sat down and had a coffee with somebody or asked for that private contact number um, if they don't even know who the real you is. So I really do think that when you move to a new place, a new location, um, you've got to spend some time working that network, sitting down, talking to people and letting people know who the real you is. Um, And you may get recommended or have contacts that happen that you didn't even ask for, you know, because now people now 10, 15, 20 people in California or wherever it is, whoever it is that's doing it, they've got evangelists out there who are who are also trying to make connections and help people out. Right. So I really do think that just getting out and and, and setting it up is I'd like to have a, a you know, treat you to 30 minutes of, of, of coffee and get to know you. Um, I call it curious coffee, but, um, you know, you can call right. it whatever you like, whatever you like. And I think what's awesome about that and something else that I just want to add is that you want to do that with no sort of like goal in mind. I think everybody thinks that, you know, if I can sit down with my leak or sit down with Kim for 30 minutes, like I have to walk away with something tangible. And a lot of times it's, it's not, you walk away seemingly with nothing, but it may become something in a month, in a year, or in a decade, or it may not ever become anything, you know, and just being okay with walking away with it being nothing. Yeah, I, a random anecdote, Malik. Um, I, I remember when you moved to Atlanta in 2009, mm-hmm. um, and you really didn't have too many connections there. No. And I had <laughs> just started Hutiful. Actually, it may have been before I started Hutiful. And, um, you, me, and Nicole Garner sat down. Yeah, we did. And there was no, this was 2009, there was no multi-city Garner Circle offices, there was no curl box, and there was no beautiful. Right. But we just sat down and we chatted, right? And, you know, you never know when those conversations pay dividends six or seven years down the road. Um, the same thing with Michelle Breyer, at naturallycurly.com. I think you introduced me to her at some point in time or, you know, it's, it's, I I think that's just, you have to shift your mindset to say a percentage of my time needs to be dedicated to creating relationships that Mm -hmm. at some point in time are going to pay dividends. And it just has to be the way that you approach, um, approach whatever profession you're in, whether it's production, music, graphic design, it doesn't matter. Right. I agree, obviously. So thank you for that one. We're going to get into another question. And, you know, I think I ended up writing Izzy back because she seemed stressed out and I didn't want her to leave California before we re- we recorded this podcast. And basically, I, you know, I told her the same thing. I think people don't understand how young 24 is, you know, and, and I know when you are 24, it seems like, oh my God, or you're looking at your peers. And I always say, Ken, in this like social media age, you and I start at working. I met Ken when I was um, 21. I'm 37. Uh, Ken, do you want to tell people a little bit like what you were doing a decade ago when we met? Yeah, well, it was more than a decade ago, right? Yeah. Um, My mouth is terrible. Was... You know that. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying not to date yourself. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I was working a um, 
commercial production shoot for Procter and Gamble. I was um, the an assistant brand manager uh, on the Always brand, Feminine Care at Procter and Gamble. Mm-hmm. We were doing a, a shoot, and there were only two black people on the shoot. Me, I was representing the brand and making sure that the photographer and everyone got the shots that we needed. And um, you, my leak. Uh, so it, it was, I, I, I was like, who is this? I got to find out who this person is on this shoot um, because there aren't a lot of us in this industry. And, and just finding that you got on the shoot as a college student. Um, Hustle. That's what I do. It was just <laughs> like, and I, for me, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know much about you, but mm-hmm. I said anybody at that age who can get onto this shoot um, and work professionally, the budget was like a quarter million dollars, yeah. is somebody who I want to know and keep in touch with. And so <laughs> I remember after the shoot was done, I, I had my expense account. So I, I took you to Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> and I was like so that. pumped because Cheesecake Factory was new to San Francisco at the time. Um, and I was still, you know, I was in college and I was working those shoots, but I was, those shoots paid well, but they weren't frequent. You know, you could make, you know, I was at the, you probably didn't know this. I was an assistant makeup artist and as an assistant makeup artist, I think my rate was like 400 a day. Um, and sometimes those shoots would be a few days. And I would remember in college, if you could work, you know, uh, a two day shoot or a four, four day shoot, like those gap shoots were like four day shoots, 1600 bucks. I did. I wouldn't have to work again for like a month, you know, and then I could focus on my studies. So I would like cut class. You know, if I had a shoot that was going to pay me four to 800 bucks, I would just like cut class for a day because then I wouldn't have to work for a month. So that was my hustle in college was to get on these shoots through an agency. I interned for the agency for free. So, you know, I went into the agency like two days a week and worked like half day for free. And in exchange, when those jobs, those assistant jobs came up, they always plugged me in. So I had worked, I've done Hewlett Packard shoots, um, Real Simple Magazine shoots, Gap, Procter & Gamble, all these things. That was how I kind of made it through college, learning entrepreneurship, like learning the hustle and really kind of like changed my mindset on how you can earn money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a testament to your, to your work ethic to get there um, and, and stay there. And I remember every time we would do a shoot on the West Coast where I was doing research, you know, I'd reach out um, and touch base. And over the over the course of, you know, several years, we probably connected about five or six times. Yeah. Um, And then you picked up the phone and you were like, hey, I'm moving to Atlanta. And I I just relocated to Atlanta a couple years before that. So um, that's how we got connected and stayed connected. And I think we just share probably similar views on on networking and relationship building and and remaining connected to people um not because they can give us something right then and there right. but because you share a common drive or interest or passion about something and you know that at some point in time that passion can turn around and help you and vice versa you can help them absolutely Okay, so I know we can we can talk uh, ad nauseum about this kind of stuff. And this is the stuff that we talk about. And so I am going to move on to the next question. But I'm glad that you guys are getting to like, 
hear the sort of like advice of the person that I typically will call to ask just about any and every question. Um, next question is buying a home feels very permanent. I'm 26, making a decent salary and living in Washington, D.C. I'm probably paying way too much for rent, but I love my apartment. But since I'm from Baltimore, I know I could have a mini waterfront condo for this price. I know I'm not ready to decide my permanent residence, but what does permanent feel like? You snap a lot about and I don't, you're not on Snapchat, Ken, but I'm on Snapchat. You snap a lot about the logistical process of moving into your first home, personal touches, things that can go wrong with appliances. But I would love to hear you podcast about the home buying process. And we won't get into this too deep because my process was super simple, but I know, Ken, you've bought multiple homes. Um, Number one, what were you looking for in your first home? Number two, how did you know you were ready to buy? And number three, what things did you put in place before you purchased your first first home? Not like credit. You've talked extensively about this, but like mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I love your podcast. Thank you so much, Krishana. So those are a lot of questions. And I guess we can probably bundle that. But Ken, you were a homeowner before I was. You were you succeeded in life much sooner than I did. So I'm much older. No, I'm not much older. No. <laughs> Every time you're like our age, I'm like, excuse me, my age. <laughs> um, I got about a six year head start on you. Yeah. Uh, I, I think um, so. I've successfully been involved in home purchase and I've unsuccessfully been involved <laughs> in home purchase. Uh, and I will say, you, you know, things to look at. I think you need to. First and foremost, look at it as an investment and strongly consider um, whether you're going to get a return on that investment. In other words, are you buying in an area where if something happens and you have to move, you'll be able to resell the house and be able to recoup the value? Um, The first property I bought was in Cincinnati in an up and coming area that was up and coming for far too long. <laughs> Far longer than I would have thought um, in the over the Rhine section. Um, so uh, it did not appreciate uh, while I was there. It did not appreciate long after I left. Um, of course, after it was sold, uh, it appreciated significantly. Uh, and the lesson the lesson learned there is I think we often find, you know, property in this up-and-coming neighborhood, and we put a lot of investment in it, but we don't have the time to be able to recoup that, you know, the the return on that investment. Today, we're more nomadic than ever, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we'll, we move every five years, every four years. I've moved every five years for the last, um, for the last 15 years. So when I'm thinking about purchasing a home, I've got to think about, will I be able to sell this home at or about the same um, or more five years from now, four or five years from now? If the answer is no, then you should really consider um, continuing to to rent. And, and I know the rich dad, poor dad books, and I know how many people were brought up that, you know, home buying is the American, you know, is the American dream. But the reality is that we're more nomadic than we ever were. And the odds of you buying a place and staying there for 15, 20, 25 years like our, our grandparents or right. um, it's just not the reality 
um, as much today. So resale value's got to be a key consideration. So I will. I like that answer. I had a really long meeting with my accountant um, last week where I pretty much came to terms with the fact that I'm not going to earn any money on the house that I bought. You know what I mean? So like you said, you I bought the house... I bought this house kind of knowing that I likely won't make any money off of it and that's fine, but I wanted to live here. So for me, right. um, I bought my house because for tax purposes, uh, because of um, sort of how I was faring professionally, my accountant kept saying, you're just, you need to like, you need a tax break. You need, you need tax breaks. So it's like, I am unmarried. I don't have any children. I pay, I was paying a ton of money in taxes. And the whole thing is that it's not that I'm not going to, it's, it's not that I'm not no longer going to pay taxes, but why not, you know, reap the benefits, I guess. It's like, if you're going to pay, pay taxes, at least live better. So I bought my house because when you run the numbers, the kind of tax break that I got, it was only going to cost me $1,000 more out of pocket to live much nicer. So it's like, okay, if I was, if I was paying, you know, however much at my apartment, you add an extra thousand and now I get to live in this like four story townhouse in a gated community. So it's kind of like, well, screw it. Why not? So that was that, um, I wasn't ready to buy. I knew I was ready to buy after I got my third tax bill and, and just got sick. Like I'm sick of paying taxes like this from an apartment. So that was part of it. That was also sort of the reason why I bought my Tesla because the Tesla, you get $7,500 tax break. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing today is all about tax breaks. Um, And in terms of like what I put in place before I purchased my first home, it was really nothing. Um, I, my parents weren't homeowners. I didn't really know a ton about home ownership. I did have a wonderful um, realtor who really kind of like, because she was a young black woman, she really just kind of broke it all down for me, made it super easy. Um, and I just, I bought my house because I really liked it. You know, I love the area. I love my zip code. Um, my office is in this area. I love my neighbors. And so it really, it's less about the investment for me and more just about, I mean, just basically I'm essentially renting a really nice house because I'm not going to make any money, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I probably look at it more as an investment these days simply because my first home buying experience cost me a lot of money. You know, when you do have to relocate um, and you're trying to rent it out, but you can't find good renters and you're paying the mortgage on that place and you're paying the mortgage or renting someplace else, um, it can quickly, if you don't have the kind of cash reserves you need, you know, get you underwater. Um, so I, I think really, really long and hard about it. You know, I, I think we tend to think about things that cost less money mm-hmm. a lot longer than we think about a house because a house can sometimes be really easy to get into, you know, you, yeah. some places you barely need to put anything down on it. Um, and so I just think that, you know, don't put yourself in a situation. The banks have a long memory. So you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you can't reverse um, a decision that, you know, five or six years or three years down the road, you kind of regret. But home ownership is a beautiful thing. I mean, 
the older I get, the more I look forward to being off the road mm-hmm. and back home. I love your house. Um, when are you guys you. inviting me back? Uh, Ken lives, Ken has the most impeccable view um, ever. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I love your view. It's awesome. Yeah. Watching the sunset over water helps calm my nerves every, <laughs> every evening. Yes. It's therapeutic it, more than anything. And that's why, you know, I love that home and, and it's not going to appreciate a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I love, I, I just love being able to call it home and yeah. knowing that I have that place to go back to, um, and to share with family and friends. Absolutely. Yeah. I love your house. I love visiting you guys. It's just, it's nice. And I think I feel that way about my house too, is that like, it's just a cool home and that's why I got it. And like when it's time to go, I'll go, you know, if I move, I'll move. Like I, I hope, I hope that moving out of this house won't break my heart. That's all I can hope for. (laughs) Um, okay. Next question. And this is going to be, this is fun because this is not all technical. This is getting to this. This is about matters of the heart. Uh Um, hello, my leak. My question is about relationships. I'm talking to this guy that I previously dated. We are trying to give dating another shot. We are best friends. So it feels great dating. My problem is I'm really nervous. It won't work out. I'm really nervous that there is someone better out there. My question is in any relationship, how do you relax? I will admit that I am a nervous person. I'm worried about finding the right job for me, the right guy. How do you relax, but not be complacent in life? Thank you in advance. Jay. (laughs) <laughs> well, this, I, this is what I would say. There's absolutely positively a better guy out there. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. There's, there's 3 billion men out there. So okay. there's a really strong probability that there's a better guy out there, but he might live in a different country or he mm-hmm. may not even know you exist. So it's not about, you know, I think often in life, we get so fixated with I'm missing out on what could be better. You know, this unknown better thing that's out there somewhere. I could have a better job. I could have a better spouse. Mm-hmm. I could have more money. Right. Yeah. And, and still embracing what you have, like it's great. Everybody would love to be married to their best friend. I mean, <laughs> I think that you would ideally whoever you marry becomes your best friend um, or is your best friend. This is the person who's going to take care of you when you're drooling on yourself in your old age. Right. Right. Um, So there's nothing wrong with being with your best friend, even though there might be somebody who lives in, you know, North Dakota, who's a better fit for you. Um, It doesn't matter what you have live in the moment, embrace the moment be thankful for what you have and put all of that energy into that relationship. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that that's probably the best approach. Okay. Is to try to date her best friend and yeah, put her absolutely. all into that? Why not? I okay. mean, what, what do you think? (laughs) Well, I mean, I get what you're right. Well, my thing is just like, um, 
I, I, this is the thing is that I have dated obviously in the past and Ken, I, like I said, I have called Ken about dating people in the past too. And the truth, he is correct. There's always somebody great out there. Um, but I do think that there are times when the person that you are dating is really just de- destined to be your friend. Like, you know, there, uh, you, I've been in a relationship with someone that I got along with and that, you know, they were cool, but when it came down to it, they really didn't, um, check off all my boxes. And so, but I guess that's not what right. she's saying. She's just more or less saying she's worried yeah. it won't work out. And it's just like, it doesn't matter who you with. There's a chance it's not going to work out and not Absolutely. just because, and not just because of a breakup. I mean, the spouse can pass away. Um, many things can happen but yeah. every really every single relationship ends. Yeah, and I, I guess you know I I think my my bigger point is is don't get lost always chasing the BBD the bigger better deal right, right? because yeah. sometimes the deal that you have that's right in front of you is great now if there's something in a relationship that just is flawed right like right. it's my best friend but there are two things that we just fundamentally disagree on that we would never get past. That's a different thing. But if the only thing that's holding you back is this fear that there might be somebody better out there or there might be something better, um, you're going to find yourself missing the opportunity that's right in front of you. That's perfect. I think we can just leave that one right there. I agree. Um, this is a good, this is a question that kind of pissed me off a little bit, but I'm going to like, I read it and I was like so mad, um, but like not mad at her, but mad for her. Um, right. Hi, my leak. You are who I look to for advice. So here I am. I have a mantra I use often. What would my leak do? Anyway, I'm looking for a career with a particular company that never posts openings for positions. I've been wanting to work for this company for over four years. I know they will believe that I'm not qualified due to lack of schooling, but I know that I am able to do it since I have done it before and did it damn well. I want to reach out to someone at this company and have gotten email addresses for contacts as well as a general phone number for the office. Actually, this is not the question I got mad at. Sorry. (laughs) When I reach out to someone, what do I say? I know you would offer to take someone out for lunch or coffee, but how do you go about doing that with a complete stranger? Should I ask in the email if they are hiring or how can I submit a resume? I would love to meet with someone so they can judge me by my passion, drive and ambition, not by paper, but I don't know what to say during the meeting. Help me please. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I think, um, so there are certain companies that will not hire, um, certain people who've, either gone to school, not gone to school, or maybe didn't go to the quote, right school. Um, right. I was told, told as when I was in graduate school, I was told by a company that quote, we don't, we don't recruit from that school. So mm. get some experience and then circle back. Uh, and maybe we'll take a look. And it's just a way to quickly filter, you know, companies get a thousand applications and you need some kind of filters to say, how do I narrow this down to 50? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my suggestion is you've got to build the informal network first, because if you submit a resume and it has, you know, these automatic disqualifiers, you're you're already dismissed before you get a chance. So, you know, you've got to go that informal way. And you're right. It is uncomfortable. Right. Um, I think your advice, my league, you know, we've talked about the coffees and the informal 
it it's timeless. Like it's a timeless and appropriate recommendation. And for those who can get themselves past the nerve, the nerves of it, um, will find some success. And it's a numbers game too. You've got to do it multiple times. But it sounds like she's got the skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so she needs to just spend time for people to f- get comfortable with the fact that while she may not have this certificate or degree or school, she has these other intangibles that cause us to overlook those things, right? That that ex- put her into the the let's consider heap versus the disqualified heap. So, you know, you really got to spend your time doing the informal networking and then you slide the resume um, and have them walk it through. You know, I'm asked countless times, hey, can you call so-and-so and help get my resume through? Um, so I, that would have to be the approach in this situation. But there are a ton of people who are hired for jobs where they're either not um, listed publicly or they don't have the criteria that's listed because they've done the other work to create the network and the relationships to get them past those hurdles. Awesome. I think perfect advice. It was actually the next question that got me upset. So I will do that one. And then I'll just do a couple of like quick ones uh, that I think that'll just be crazy for you. Cause you're probably like, this is the kind of stuff people ask. Let um, it be known that my leak refused to share any of the questions up front. Because, because, <laughs> because I know how you get, you try to get all technical and try to be, <laughs> you try to be prepared. And then people don't get, they don't get the, they don't get the real because you've rehearsed, no rehearsing on this. Um, so listen to this one. Uh, thank you so much because she's raved about the podcast. Thank you. So she says, as a plus size black woman seeking employment in the fashion industry, I have been met with much resistance, although I have been complimented on my interview skills and background. I am qualified, but can't seem to land a gig after a year of applying in countless interviews. I've been able to land a temporary gig at a popular fashion website. I'm approaching my six month as a temp and I've expressed my interest in becoming a full-time employee. I receive compliments on my work and work well with my peers, but my supervisor does not seem supportive in my quest. I most recently requested a touch base to go over my progress and to once again express my interest in the open position for the role I'm currently in. My supervisor canceled the touch base and went on vacation for two weeks. I've reached out to HR to express my interest in interviewing with no reply. My question is, and this is the one that made me upset. My question is, is there something else I should be doing to be considered for full-time employment? Am I wasting my time and constantly following up? This is a great opportunity and I've been looking for work for a while. So she wow. says, thank you. And thank you. Yeah. This is the one that I'm just like, I want to know your thoughts on this. So she's plus size woman of color, fashion industry wants to work in the fashion industry. I'm assuming New York. Um, I could be wrong, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's, um, it's, it's a tough challenge. And first of all, um, I would, I would say don't make the assumption that it's, that the resistance is based on your size and your size alone. Um, okay. You know, that that could be a negative assumption that mm-hmm. kind of carries itself through the day to day, you know, the little comments, the body language, the other, you know, everything. Um, there are a lot of people 
uh, of all color and creed and shapes and sizes and heights and religious beliefs who can't crack into the fashion industry. Um, It's just really hard. So I I think um, the first thing is to shed the, some of the negative image about self away. Mm -hmm. You are who you are. Um, The, the challenge in the fashion industry is it's just there are a small number of jobs and a heck of a lot of people going after them. Um, This can't be the only opportunity um, out there. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. if, if your goal is to get to some place down the road, this one place, this one job that you're hoping to get isn't the end all be all to get you to where you want to be down the road. So sometimes you've got to make a right turn and another left turn and a right turn to get to where you're trying to go and say, this one opportunity I'm looking for isn't the end all be all. Like there's another way to get to where I'm trying to go with my goals. And I think it's in thinking through how else can I get down the road, you may come up with some, you know, ingenious ways to do it um, that may be non-traditional. But I, I think that one, take the, the, the kind of negativity out of the process. Do your best work. Be positive. Own who you are. But also consider a different direction to get to your end state. Um, and just know that rejection is a part of everyone's job. When I was at Procter & Gamble, I really, really wanted to get into hair care or other beauty brands. But they kept pulling me back into always. Like I was the femme care guy. <laughs> the only way the I got guy. The, the only bad way guy. I, <laughs> the bad guy. Right. Bad guy. Um, the only way I got out of there, and I loved doing what I was doing, was, you know, I had to resign and, and start a different career in a different city and ultimately got to where I wanted to be, which was hair care. But I never thought that my way to get to hair care um, would be taking a five-year journey and starting my own company. I always thought that the way to get to hair care was them giving me a job on Pantene or Herbal Essence. Like, that was the only way. So, uh, and I don't know, maybe they didn't want to give it to me because I was a guy, you know? Right. Um, Or because I was black. I I have no idea. But what I do know is that I have my own hair care brand now, and it's only because I decided to... Um, take a different approach and never let who I am mm-hmm. be part of the equation of what I could achieve and what I couldn't achieve or Not why awesome I wasn't successful. Ooh, I like that. That was awesome. Okay. I am going to get into like some more questions. Um, we'll see how you do. Hi, my leak. I dated a guy for six months. He told me that he wanted to continue dating. I asked him if there was something in the works. He says, no. A couple of days later, he told me that he was taking someone to the movies. Then a week later, I found out he went to Miami with another woman through lurking. So when he got back from Miami, I just stopped talking to him. That was in April. It's now July. Would you have just left it like that? Or tell him about himself. I asked because I feel like he lied to me. Rant done. Uh, I think she approached it the right way. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even build on that. Yeah. Like, like cut him off. If, if trust is one of those things or, you know, 
open communication is one of those criteria that you're not willing to compromise, don't compromise. Right. Um, and you don't even have to go and revisit. You don't need to go and tell him about himself. It's just not the right guy. It's not what you're looking for. It's not how you roll. So um, I think she did the right the right thing. Yeah, I think so, too. I think sometimes and I know and you know that I've suffered from this, too, is that I I was addicted to wanting people to know that I knew that they wronged me. You know, like I always felt like I had to do that. And now that I'm older and more chill and, you know, have had a professional to talk to about these things, I have just realized. And I think that sometimes people get into they misunderstand me because because I don't argue, really. You know, I don't I don't argue and I'm just not into going back and forth. And I think that some people will do things and. I don't know. Sometimes I think they do things for attention or, you know, when I was younger and dating, I, I felt like I knew a lot of men that processed um, drama and confusion as like love and care. You know, I don't know how they grew up in their home, but if somebody wasn't fighting over them or they didn't have some mess, you know, some dust constantly kept up, they didn't think you cared about them. And now that I am, much older and I have, you know, I was just thinking to myself the other day, I ha every day I have a list of things that demand my attention or care, you know, like I don't have a choice. These are things that I must deal with and the trivial stuff, there's no time for it. So well, I, yeah. I don't address it. I remember my leak, you know, remember <laughs> we were both getting our businesses off the ground, Curlbox and Beautiful, and, mm -hmm. you know, people would email and say things, many of them hurtful, and you and I would, like, get ready to go in on them, right? And mm -hmm. true story, I used to have my leak type what she wanted to say. <laughs> yes. And then email it to me, not the customer, not the whoever did you wrong, email it to me. And just take a deep breath. And yeah. uh, I'll either edit the email for you. Right. Or, if it, or just hit delete. Like, yeah. Like, but going in on somebody, you know, putting them in their place, all that just takes too much negative energy and quite honestly, time. Because I know it takes me like, 30 minutes to get a well-crafted going. In yeah. On we, like, <laughs> exactly. When you, when you, <laughs> when you need to tell somebody off, you like, wait a minute, let me sit down because I want to make sure that, because you want to make sure that you say it all the first time. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, right. I don't want to miss out on anything. And, and you like, want yeah. them to feel the hurt that they caused yes. you. Yes. So that's what it's more about. It's like, mm -hmm. I want, I hurt and I want you to feel equal or more hurt. So, yes. So, you know, it's just unproductive. Especially it is. If you're saying I don't have enough time to do X, Y, Z, or I've got things on my list uh, and you're spending time going in on somebody who breaks certain covenants that you value in a relationship, it's just counterproductive. 
I agree. Let somebody and, let let the next girl deal with it. <laughs> right, right. Let the girl who went to Miami deal with it. Congratulations. Because... <laughs> Congratulations. Right. You just right. And I think sometimes as a woman, we feel like other women won. Like this person won this guy, and I had to like I had to work with that. And my therapist would be like, "There's no prize here." You know what I'm saying? Like, there is no prize. Like that person just now has the headache that you don't have to have. So um, I would say I agree with you. It's like, if you stop talking to him, just don't talk to him anymore. And if he hits you back, I just probably wouldn't respond either. And like, I deal with that to this day. Like I've had people write me, people, people write me not nice things all the time. And I just think that like, I don't know why they do it. Or people think that I'm somehow superhuman and that like, I don't get hurt. So let me just say anything. Let me be awful. Um, and I always say that like, cause I've dealt with this recently. If you, in my mind, I go like, if you intended to, to hurt my feelings by doing this, you did. Um, my feelings were hurt, uh, processed it. I'm moving on, but me taking any time to respond, you know, is kind of like, is what does it solve? Like if you tell him about himself, like what's going to change? nothing you still not talking to him like and he didn't get over on you like you will win because you're going to move on with your life and find somebody who treats you well um who you don't have to do that kind of stuff with yeah so uh i am gonna ask my last question because i think it's good and i'd like to answer it too um and i and i definitely want your thoughts on this but it's have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome if so how did you conquer it i've transitioned from education to tech which is largely white male and even though i know i'm great at the work i do there are still moments mainly in the company of these men that i feel self-conscious about my skills have you ever felt have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome you're asking me i'm asking you <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah, i think uh, um i mean my personal experience I, talked about always in Procter and Gamble before, but, um, you know, I, I was hired as an intern between my first and second year and they put me in their feminine care division. So former army officer, you know, went to West Point, had never worked in business besides throwing newspapers and working at an amusement park. Um, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden here I am, I'm 28 years old and I'm being asked to develop, you know, interactive online programs for fifth through seventh grade girls who are entering their first menstruation, you know, like, <laughs> right. like what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea. I don't have any sisters. I have one female cousin. So um, if you want to feel like an imposter, be an ex-military officer thrown into the world of feminine care to focus on teenage girls. And what I learned from that experience, I'm forever grateful, is what I learned was that it's not about who you are from a, a, a age, race, or sex. It's how do you immerse yourself in the job and the work? You know, so I took the challenge on and I started reading every single teeny bopper, teenage 
magazine I could get my hands on. Cosmo Girl, mm-hmm. um, Tiger Beat, you name it, um, Teen Vogue. Everything I could get my hands on. I'd browse the aisles of Claire's Boutique. Like, I knew more about what people were saying, what was pop culture for tweens, everything. And so even though I was a 28, 29-year-old black male with no females in his family, um, I was able to speak from a position of knowledge and I was able to speak comfortably about it because there was nobody who understood, you know, kind of the pop teen culture or what was going on um, more than I did at that time. And it allowed me to be able to, you know, do my job really well. Awesome. Uh, I definitely have suffered from imposter syndrome at times because it's sometimes it's just this thing of like, I felt like I didn't have anything to do with my success and that somehow I was like, got lucky. And that because I, because I had nothing to do with my success and I somehow got lucky that I didn't deserve the rewards and then I felt compelled to sort of like give them all away which you know I spent a lot of time feeling like I should give this all this stuff away and like not really understanding why people really believed in me you know it was like why do these people why are these people telling me yes and why do these people believe in me and even though I want them to say yes and believe in me why you know right Right. so yeah, well, um, your writer, I mean, she got invited to the party, right? They're letting her in. Um, and it, it's not because they just thought that they should give her the job. I mean, there's obviously some skills that they they saw. Um, mm-hmm. So own them and, and spend spend that time, all your time, really immersing yourself in, in that work um, so that people start to look at you less about, well, what school did she go to, or she's a female, or she's whatever, and really starting to own, she's just an expert in this space. You know, mm-hmm. I want her on. I want her on my team because she's got a better understanding than anybody else in this area. Right. Right. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I I feel like an imposter often. <laughs> Right. You're like, what the hell am I doing? Even sometimes yeah. like coming to my neighborhood and my house, like, I mean, I live here. I bought this house, but it's like, I sometimes feel like I don't belong, you know, like uh-huh. this is not where I was supposed to be. And I remember, I'm pretty sure you remember when I first kind of sort of quote unquote made it, I just be like, is this real? <laughs> like when is someone going to come and like knock on my door and be like, girl, is this just kidding? No, I, I, I still wait for somebody while I'm shoveling, like shoveling the way. I'm waiting for someone to pull up and roll the window down and ask for my car and say, hey, I live around the corner. Can you shovel my driveway out when you're done? Because like, you know, I, there's nobody who looks like me in our block, on our, in our area. Um, yeah. And so I feel like an imposter in my neighborhood. You know, I'm cautious about what I what I do because I kind of feel like, well, you know, maybe someone will think I'm in the wrong neighborhood, especially these days. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, it's a feeling I get often, but you just have to say, like, look, I believe I, I belong where I am and I'm not mm-hmm. going to apologize for being where I am and for what I've achieved. Yeah, I'm just going to work, work hard to be better than you at it. 
hello, that's the deal, you know? And I think that that's sort of, and people will make you feel that way. You know, like I ordered some chairs the other day and the guys, like two guys delivered them. And it was like, I opened the door and uh, the laundry, the laundress actually opened the door. And then I came and was like, Hey, and they were like, you could just tell they were just so blown away of like, how is this happening? Um, do you, do you, are you a photographer? Are you this? And I was just like, I actually have a call, so I have to go. Um, I know you don't get it. I don't get it either, but you gotta go. Um, but I do appreciate you saying that. And I think that for all of us, I think most people don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, I think we, we know what we know, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't know, but we, we don't refuse to try because there's just a whole bunch of stuff you don't know, you know, every day. And, um, your good friend, Brian and my good friend, Brian, I remember asking him like, like, when will this get easy? And he's just like, it won't (laughs) like, it doesn't, it won't ever because just as soon as you master one thing, there's something new to learn. Um, and you should be happy to always be a student, you know, and once you, once you no longer have anything to learn, I don't think you should be doing it anymore. Well, I, I rarely hire somebody based on, this is what I need done. And this is what they've shown that they can do. Like Mm I hire someone because I expect them to deliver more than they've ever done before. And I expect them to be able to push my business forward, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so they should feel like an imposter when I hire them. They should feel like there are things that they don't know how to do because I want somebody who is bringing certain things to the table and tangibles that's going to allow them to grow and develop. So I kind of hire for the future Mm -hmm. and I'm looking for skills that like, okay, good communicator, passionate about what they do. Uh, all the other stuff, I believe they can figure out. So they should feel like a little bit of an imposter because, you know, they're being hired for something that they've never done sometimes. So I think that's just a natural, you know, a natural feeling. And the people around you just might not look like you. And that's okay. Right. Okay, Ken. Before... I appreciate you coming on and answering all these questions. Um, and then because I want to ask you just like a couple quick hits, you do not need to overthink this before we go. Um, most people don't know that you also like to cook probably as much as I do. Um, I think that that is, uh, you and your wife, like both cook very well, but what is the last dish you made? Oh, geez. Um, the last dish I made, um, Slow cooked black beans um, and a moho Cuban skirt steak. Uh, so I did this. like I did like a Brazilian with a, a caipirinha on the side. Um, it was nice. It's on my Instagram actually. At <laughs> what is your at, Instagram? <clears throat> at Ken Hutiful, H U E T I F U L, all one word. Okay. At Ken Hutiful, okay. and I will. Usually, I would say half my pictures are um, food and cocktails. Um, okay. So that's just my passion when I'm away from work, which isn't often, and I do get home. Um, one of the simple pleasures for me is just being able to cook up a meal, Same. mix up a cocktail, or have a nice bottle of wine. And like that's, that's my simple pleasure in life. Mine too. Mine too. Favorite? 
place to vacation. If you could take, if no, like not you paying for it, it's just like, hey, Ken, oh. you can go, you can go anywhere. I'm not paying for it. Don't even try it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can go anywhere you want right now. Where would you go? Probably high in, high probably in and then maybe low in. Venice. Venice. Oh, yes. I do love Venice. Um, okay. For, for the architecture, for the food, for the yeah. history. Yeah. I loved Venice. Um, yeah. So P- Venice is so picturesque. You can never stop taking pictures. When we were in, uh, when we went to Venice last year, he was just like, like, he's like, can you like, you're going to want to take a picture at every stop. Like, so just like, just wait, you know, and just get it all at once. Okay. So high end Venice, um, domestically, where would you go for the weekend? Um, domestically, I like Denver. I know. Um, <laughs> I, I like Denver for the mountains, the Denver area, Colorado. Um, okay. Outdoor. There's a lot of benefits to Denver. Um, yeah. I, I do. Uh, so I, I so I would break it down into mountains. You know, okay. Denver, Colorado Springs is beautiful, um, and then water. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love San Diego because of the weather, the water. Um, where, that's a hard question, my league. There's so many places I love. Actually, you know what? One place, one weekend, New Orleans. That's what I asked. Where? New Orleans, yep. New Orleans, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's and definitely not, a good not one. Bourbon oh. Street, Garden District. No, yeah, or the Bywater, which we love. Uh, yeah. My favorite place to stay in New Orleans when we when we go is the. I'm drawing a blank on the Dangon Hotel, but it's called like it's right across the street. It's like the Mansion. It's right across the street. It's a refurbished mansion, and it's right across the street from Port of Call. It's amazing and super reasonable. Um, and if I remember, I'll tweet it or post it somewhere. Uh, favorite like one book, and don't say a zillion books. One book every person should have, in your opinion. Wow, jeez, you're killing me. Um, I know. And I didn't I want like, you to prepare. I like the immutable, immutable laws of, of marketing. Um, okay. Bye. Can, can I do a second book? I knew you'd want to. The immutable laws of marketing. Um, okay. Love Marks. Okay. Is that the name of the book? Love Marks? Yes. It was from okay. a former creative director. I want to say Asachi and Sachi. Oh, yeah. And it just talks about creating brands that people fall in love with um, and, and how you do that and what they, and they're timeless. You know, I think mm-hmm. so many brands today are like here, here today, they're gone three or four years from now. So how do you yeah. create not just a brand, but a love mark when someone sees it written, they're like, ah, I love that company. Like I love mm-hmm. the experiences that they've provided. And how do you build a company that, that creates, that is a love mark versus just a brand or even worse, just a product or service. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm on Amazon right now. I'm going to be buying that. It doesn't have a full five stars. It came out in 2005. Yeah. It's it's an older book, but I think it's really, really relevant even today. Okay. I'm going to get that. And this is the very last question. You have $20. What would you do with it? Like what was, what would be the one thing you would do with $20? I'd invest in Curlbox. Smart. 
good. Smart. Very good. Thank you so much for your time. $20 worth of shares in your company. (laughs) Awesome. That's very smart of you. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. I hope that everybody enjoys this. Uh, MyTaughtYou.com, anything you need. And I just also uh, forwarded MyLeak.com. So you can type in MyLeak.com and find me. But um, thank you guys for listening. Have a good one. Thanks, MyLeak. I enjoyed it.